Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is drone delivery is here with my friend Tom Walker. Tom is the founder and CEO of a company called Drone Up, a pioneering autonomous drone delivery company that specializes in last mile delivery. I've been a little bit skeptical about drone delivery, but Tom and his team at Drone Up are doing it. They have proved that drone delivery is viable and in many cases preferable over other transportation options. It's a brave new world. Check out my conversation with Tom Walker. So how's it going, Tom Walker? It's going great, Joe. Tom, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Great. I am uh, Tom Walker. I'm the founder and CEO of DroneUp, and I am uh, calling in from Virginia Beach, Virginia. I, I've said many times on my podcast, I actually mentioned this to you before we hit record, that I don't know anybody really doing anything with drones yet. I, I know I talked to Sankulp not so long ago. They're doing inventory management and warehouses. That makes sense. I know that I've always thought, yeah, they can check my roof with drones. You guys are actually delivering with drones. So that's t- to the title. Drone delivery is here. This isn't 10 years from now. This isn't when we figure it out. It is now, right? That's correct. We're actually delivering uh, to about 4 million households in the United States today. Damn. So <laughs> when did you guys start this company? The company actually started in 2016, but we were a traditional drone services company. So aerial data collection, to your point, roof inspection, cell tower inspection. And then when the pandemic hit, we were given the opportunity to participate in a couple of drone exercises. And candidly, we had never done a drone delivery. So we figured it out on the fly, leveraged the experience that we had from thousands of hours of flights in the traditional drone world, applied that and our culture of safety. And uh, now we're the largest drone delivery company in the United States. Damn. I, I, again, when, I, when you say you're delivering to 4 million homes, that is your service area? Is that uh, every metropolitan area or are you guys growing? How does that work? Yeah, we're growing right now uh, on the retail side. We're in six states uh, with 34 locations. And then we are also doing medical and medical campus delivery, medical equipment, pharmaceutical delivery. And, and we're doing that in a couple of locations on the East Coast as well. How big can the packages be? So our boxes are 14 by 14 by 30, and we have a 10-pound capacity. 10 pounds. Now, what percentage of all shipments are under 10 pounds for like home delivery? It's a great question. So 90% of all of the packages that are delivered to uh, homes in America weigh eight and a half pounds or less. And the reason that we think drones offer, one of the many reasons we think drones offer a viable alternative or a better alternative is we can already deliver 10 pounds which means we can already deliver 90% uh, of what's being delivered by these six and 10 ton trucks that are driving through the neighborhoods, dangerous and carbon emissions. But in addition to that, 90% of those packages sit on a shelf of a store within five miles of the consumer. So by having this rapid carbon-free, much more affordable form of delivery, it's not only going to be good for the consumers, but it's also going to be good for small, medium, and large retailers who can now leverage this much more affordable, much less expensive, 
a much safer form of delivery. So you said small, medium, large retailers. Are those your customers? Is that your sweet spot? We're expanding into everything now. Medical, as I mentioned, quick service restaurants, fast food delivery, obviously. Being able to know that your food was never handled by anybody except for the person who packaged it and you when you got it is something that people really enjoy. Yeah, this is crazy to me because before we hit record, I told you I've always been open to it because I I live close to Ann Arbor. And as I walk through Ann Arbor, I see this, there's a some sort of drone programming business and I, and I see it's growing and I know we have this technology. I talk to smart people and they say, oh, I have my drone license. So I know it's coming. But I didn't know anyone was doing it. I, I've done over 400 podcasts. Nobody is using drones in the way that you've talked about, that I've talked to. And by the way, sometimes when somebody says, oh, I do blank, I go, oh, yeah. I've talked to 10 guys like you. I don't say that, but that's my first thought. <laughs> yeah, when they say, we're doing something like nobody else does, I was like, yeah. I- sure you are. Yeah. <laughs> like, but you guys really are pioneers in this space. And so your sweet spot is is retailed right now, but you're open to whatever makes sense. What are some other industries where it is going to soon make sense to use drones for delivery? I'll tell you what, what let me address what soon means. So right now we're limited to about a mile and a half range by regulation. There are multiple different pieces of legislation moving through Congress. In addition to that, the FAA is implementing some new procedures that are going to allow us to begin to fly further as early as next year. And so right now, retail works, especially when you're working with partners who have a good density of homes within that range. But as we can expand, and we just launched a new technology and and demonstrated it to the public last week, that's really going to help this is once you can start to build out this network where drones can stop by, pick up what you need, fly further, and even do logistical handoff, there really isn't an industry that wants to do delivery that doesn't fit within this because we have the ability to have chain of custody. We have cold chain capabilities. You name it, we can do it. Yeah. And by the way, I, I'm assuming all your drones, you could take a picture with the drone, right? So if you put it on a porch, you put it on a uh, back porch, wherever you put it, you can take a picture? We can, but we generally don't. Part of the reason that we don't is there are several states that pass rules that are interesting. For example, the Google car can drive down the road and take pictures of the house and create Google Google Maps and, and the Google Views. Satellites can take pictures, but there are several states that have passed rules very specifically that say drones cannot take a picture of private property without the resident's permission. And secondly, we knew and have known from the beginning that what the concerns for the general public would be. Number one, privacy. To your point, if I've got drones flying over into the neighborhood, are they looking at me? Are they taking pictures? Are they recording? So we don't record anything. We take no pictures. We have a view from the operator has a view that they can see what they're doing for safety purposes and to be able to avoid other aircraft or safely deploy the product. But, but we're not taking any pictures at this time. Yeah, that is that does get a little hanky because I remember years ago, I haven't seen it lately, and I don't know how they're combating it, but some movie stars were in their backyard and a drone came over. That No one's going to want that. So anyway, let's switch gears for just a second. Tom, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started Drone Up. Yeah, so I grew up in Southern Arkansas, graduated from a class of 37 people and immediately joined the Navy. 
went into nice. the nuclear power program. I was a nuclear engineer on submarines as an enlisted guy, was, was fortunate enough to be commissioned as a naval officer and transitioned into the special operations community where I spent the balance of my career, got out and couldn't figure out what I was going to do. What does a former nuclear engineer and a guy who jumped out of helicopters do for a living? And so I, uh, I went to work for my wife's software company and worked there for quite a few years and had this idea, was bored and created this platform as a side hobby project. And now that company is sold and here we are. And my wife is, she doesn't like to call it retired because she says she's afraid she'll get old. So she's, her LinkedIn profile says she's an unemployed CEO. <laughs> it's funny because my sister's husband retired. She said he retired, but I didn't. And I, I suspect he'll end up doing something else. But women tend to, they lived all over the world. And so she said, raising kids overseas is not easy. But also, again, I always think women keep themselves a lot more busy with friends, family, other stuff where guys tend to settle into the TV habit. So anyway, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. You got a military background, especially, uh, as you said, special operations. So you understand all of the challenges coming when you say we're going to fly stuff in the air. So the drones today you talked about, they can only go a mile and a half. So does that mean the, a lot of, and that's by law, by regulation right now? Yes, by regulation, but that's changing. Our systems have the capability to go further, and we're prepared for the change in regulation. We've been very active on Capitol Hill, and we've had senators, congressmen, you name it, FA officials, visit our facilities, visit the operations. And part of the advantage, a lot of people have questions, why are you doing it if you can only go a mile and a half? But they're really, to your point, when everybody was telling the FAA and Congress, we need to be able to fly further. The response was like, why? What are you doing that you need to fly further? And because we've been doing these operations at scale in multiple states, in different demographics and different regions, different environmental conditions, we've been able to demonstrate a couple of things. One, that it can be done safely. Two, that by and large, consumers love it. We got an MPS score of 97. And, and thirdly, that the retailers would embrace it. And so we needed to prove those three things to the administration and to the regulators. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that. Yep. So first up, NPS score, please explain that, NPS. And basically, it's the it's a rating of how happy the customers are with the service. So it can range so it's like a up net down. promoter score? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're 97. So people are really happy with this then. I, I, think about it. Here's why. You place the order. And from the time you place the order until this product is sitting on your back porch is generally between 20 and 22 minutes. And it's $3. And I think what, like I said earlier, a lot of the initial orders are out of novelty. It's, I want to see this. It's in my neighborhood. But- then all of a sudden it's the convenience of it. And I forgot this one item and I forgot this one herb or this one spice or this diapers is a big one that we deliver, which you can imagine why. For a long time, the number one most ordered product was Hamburger Helper. It's, but it's moved around a little bit now. Now the number one most ordered product is Oreos. But yeah, it's, it's really gaining in popularity and people like it. There's really not a lot to complain about. The biggest complaints that we have had, and we haven't had very many, have never really been from the customers who've used the service. It's been from people who were just maybe experiencing a little fear, uncertainty, and doubt about this new technology flying in their community. 
but we do a, we're very aggressive with when we go into a new community, we meet with the civic leaders, we meet with the civic leagues, we meet with the, the, all of the state city officials. We do presentations to city council. We tell them things like what I told you earlier, that we don't record. We're not taking pictures. We show them our safety record. We fly for them so they can hear how quiet it is. And typically we'll do something like deliver uh, a dozen eggs to city council just to show them that we really, (laughs) how delicate it really is. Yeah. So given the short radius you have right now, are you, are most of your shipments in major cities? No. So for example, we're in DFW. We're spread out around. It's a big area. We're in Utah and Phoenix, Salt Lake City. And then from Orlando to Tampa, we're spread across there. We have three locations in Arkansas and a location, uh, a few locations here in Virginia. So not really, I think initially what we wanted to do was areas that weren't too high density. Again, we needed to establish a track record of safety. That's that. That's the one thing that that had not been done at scale. Most of the deliveries prior to our service being launched were in kind of test corridors in very specific places. We were the first ones to really just start delivering to any home that wanted that was in the area and wanted to order. Yeah, I think about where I live. I live uh, an hour out of Detroit, thir- twenty minutes from Ann Arbor. So it's little less density, but I also, I'm less than a mile from a Walmart and less than a mile from uh, Meyer, which is like Walmart up here in the Midwest. And I've, I've walked to both of them. They, they got to cross busy streets. So I'm not wild about it, but I, I've walked to both of them and yeah, I could get those deliveries. And by the way, I don't always shop online, but this week I got three things delivered to my house and all of them were well less than 10 pounds and they all got here pretty quick. So that told me, tells me they were in a DC close by. Absolutely. And they could have all been delivered to my house. And by the way, you said something to me before we hit record that I found fascinating. The average delivery, all those deliveries came to my front porch, but there are porch pirates and we are right now talking in Towards the end of August, soon we'll be talking about the holiday season. And that's when the porch pirates really get crazy. But you have a solution for porch pirates that I never considered. So please share that. It, it's, it's interesting, too, because when earlier within the last even year, when people would say, what are the benefits of drone delivery? And we were like, oh, it's carbon neutral. It's fast. It's safe. It's affordable. And then our analysts were doing some stats and putting together a program. And suddenly one day I'm reading this document and it says a percentage or incidence of porch theft. And we had zero. And so I immediately dug into that. Like, why is that zero? And there's two reasons. There's a prevailing reason. And then there's another reason. But one of the prevailing reasons is we deliver in the backyard. So we can deliver right on the back porch in a protected area, in a secure area. We even have people that say, you, will you deliver it behind, the, behind this location so I know where it is when I get home? And so it's not visible from the street. The analysts also argued that most people who are ordering to have something delivered in 30 minutes or less are home. They get notified when the drone's in the air. They get notified when the package is delivered. So there is that kind of, I want it now and I've got it now. But again, because of where we are delivering, it, it, is, it, it does have a significant impact on the uh, temptation to, to take a package. Yeah. 
I want to take a quick time out to tell you, you can now listen to Logistics of Logistics on Wreaths Across America Radio. I'll put a link in the show notes. Wreaths Across America provides informational, inspiring content about members of the U.S. Armed Forces, their families, and military veterans. Their mission is to remember, honor, and teach. Wreaths Across America succeeds because of the generous support of the trucking community. Take a listen and please consider volunteering. Getting back to it, you mentioned also the safety and how you guys are, you you have to overcome sensitivities that we all have. Is that going to be taking pictures of me? Is it going to crash into wires? What's going to go? Is this safe for kids? All this. And I think we have the same problem in autonomous vehicles. We all know at some point, I've joked about it, Tom, someday I'll tell my great grandkids that when I was when I was young, I used to drive a car around <laughs> and it, I was in complete control. They were like, well, what if you were screwing around? I was like, we did. <laughs> we crashed. We killed 50,000 people a year because we're flawed and autonomous vehicles won't be doing that. But right now, if there's a, an accident between an autonomous vehicle and a, another car and somebody's injured or killed, that is front page news. Meanwhile, we have the regular accidents that happen and it's just, we just, it's a shame. Everyone's a shame. Same thing with the drone. As soon as any drone anywhere has a problem, uh, a whole bunch of people are going to go, we need to stop this. We need to stop this. But given that you've had uh, a lot of very successful missions, I guess I'll call them that. <laughs> I think we're going to get to the point real quick where you say, Hey, if this was a UPS truck delivering or a gig economy worker, not only are they in the expressway or on the roads clogging up, the, um, making traffic worse than it already is, but nobody's going to be killed or injured with a drone. They're not, they're not that big. Yeah. For example, our drones, total, our total weight, including the 10 pound package is less than 55 pounds. And on top of that, we have a parachute system. And so if anything goes wrong on the drone, the first thing is, is we have emergency landing spaces uh, where it'll land. And then if in the event that they can't make it to that, then it cuts off the engines, deploys the parachute and gently lowers to the ground. But the other thing that's important is we optimize our routes to fly over roofs and waterways. When we're going through a neighborhood, we're flying along a roof. Now, and to your point, somebody says, what if it has a crash and hits a roof? We're going to have to replace some shingles. This is 55 pounds. It's not like a, a Cessna 172 landed on a roof. And if you look not just at our track record, but the into other participants in the industry, I think in the last year we had 150,000 operational flights and not a single incident. If you go to the FAA's website and you look up the number of people that have been seriously injured by drones in the last five years, the answer is zero. And in the handful of injuries that have been reported, those were operator error and the users hurt themselves, not somebody else. Right. Those were amateurs. Yeah, things are things will happen. I'm not I, I never tell anybody this is perfect. There's no such thing as perfect in, in safety. But if you look at it statistically, it is so far off the charts, more safe. In fact, somebody just presented us a report, and I haven't read it, but the, I, the, somebody read me one line out of it, which I found interesting, is that it is more safe to deliver a, project, a, a product by drone than it is to walk the delivery down the road to, to do the delivery. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Hey, I got another question. So you guys are a pioneer. I know there's other companies, but you, by the way, you're still the first person I've talked to who is doing drone deliveries. I've talked to other people on the podcast about using drones for inventory management. That was San Culp over at Gather AI. I love what they're doing. They'll eventually get to the rail yards and the port yards. Those are huge. And they'll be great at the ports to say, hey, here's where these containers are at. No one wants to walk 10 miles around that port all day. And AI-driven drones make sense. But no one I've talked to is doing it this way. But eventually, you're going to have a lot of competition. How how does that work? So you have, is there an airspace? We have air traffic controllers that make sure planes don't crash into each other. How will that work with drones? That's one of the interesting things about this this new regulatory environment we're talking about around this beyond visual line of sight is how do we do what's called see and avoid or detect and avoid? How do we prove to the FAA we can operate in a more congested airspace? But one of the things I want to address is people talk about thousands of drones flying around. If you think about the average neighborhood, that how many deliveries are into that neighborhood, you're talking about 10, 12, 15 a day. So there's never really a situation where you're going to have hundreds of drones flying into those neighborhoods. But from a regulatory standpoint, we have to be able to demonstrate that ability. There isn't a controlling entity like air traffic control. We, as an industry, it's been placed upon us to provide the solutions that essentially demonstrate our ability to perform safely. And and the other thing I want to say, though, is you ask about competition in the industry. One of the things that's interesting about our industry right now is we have been unable to date to create a supply chain of parts that meet a particular industry standard. So because there hasn't been a huge demand, everybody's building their own drones. Everybody's writing their own software. Everybody's doing everything. And what we are really trying to do is we really are focusing on the ecosystem that allows all of this to work and enables access to the network from for everybody, kind of equal access and fair and balanced trade within the airspace, and then turn around and let other vendors build certain things for us. We want other vendors building our drones for us. We want other vendors building the sensors for us and the infrastructure for us, because we think until we can build that supply chain up and get competitive quality parts, it's going to be very difficult for our industry to scale. Yeah, very good point. I was just talking to, I was at a university, I spoke to a class not so long ago, and I was talking about Ford Motor Company. I grew up in Dearborn, Michigan. I worked within Ford. I have a lot of family members who worked there. And back, I think in the 20s, Henry Ford had a completely vertically integrated company. So he had, he would chop down the lumber off his field, his lumber yards. He would, he was actually making, growing rubber tree plants down in Brazil. Part of the reason is because he was first or one of the first, and there wasn't anybody who could keep up. So as, as they were trying to outsource and say, hey, could we ask you to make some tires for us? Eventually, Goodyear, Goodrich, all these other developed, but it wasn't immediate. And we saw the same thing with technology. At one time, you had the Bill Gates or Steve Jobs. They were doing everything. Now there's a million specialties within that space. And so we're going to need a supply chain to develop. Otherwise, the industry doesn't develop. 
That's right. Now, the drones you guys use, are these off the shelf or how What do you, how do you get these? Or you have to modify them? No, the, these are custom drones. Our software operates a drone. We have some partners' software as well. They're manufactured in Maryland by a partner and just for us. And they're very sophisticated. Once people get a chance to actually see one up close and touch it, it's, it's, they're generally very impressed. Now, will you, as you don't have many right now, I don't think, but as competition comes in, will you compete based on we have a better drone or we have better drone drivers or? No, first off, the pilots aren't operating our drones today. Everything is autonomous. And when the customer places the order, for example, our system gets notified of the order is pick and packed. It's brought out, it's loaded onto the drone, and then the drone flies itself. It takes off. It determines the safest route in order to get there. It goes to the site. It lowers down to 100 feet. It then lowers the package gently down to the ground, comes back. It flies back and returns. So there's no better operator in that particular case. There are personnel there for safety and monitoring. But here's where we think we're going to really fit into the system in the next two to three years. First off, our goal is to drive this cost down so that we really fundamentally change last mile delivery. And I'll tell you how we're going to do it. So we've built an ecosystem that allows drones to uh, auto load the product. It's the product I told you that we rolled out recently. It's called our DBX you can come up, you can put a package into it. It scans it. It automatically goes in. It can either store or it can go right up to the top load. The drone takes off and flies and does the delivery. There's no operator involved in any of that process. And so we believe that we're going to be able using this ecosystem in these areas to get last mile delivery down to sub $2 over the next three to five years. And we think if you can deliver it in 30 minutes for sub $2, it's going to have a fundamental and, and might even say radical impact on how last mile delivery is conducted. These drones are being operated by your customers at a retail location. Do they have to, do they have to have any special training? And are there a dozen drones at that location? And do they have to, is there scheduled maintenance or anything like that they have to manage? Yeah, completely. So the, the operators still have to have an FAA drone operator certificate, even though the drones are operating autonomously because if there were a situation were to arise where they needed to take control, they would have to operate. No different than a pilot who's flying an autopilot who may have to take over. So you want them to know what they're doing. But we have a very, very distinctive training program. So our operators, when you come in, you don't even go out into the field and operate at a location without going through a two-week training course. And we train you on everything from how to operate the software, how to manually fly, Uh, Then we have secondary training programs for how to do maintenance, how to do repairs. Uh, We have a very uh, stringent quality control. We had an FAA person inspect our operation just recently. And one of the comments was, you guys run a tighter operation than most airlines that I've inspected. (laughs) And and while I appreciated that, that, we took that the right way because when you're doing something first and new in an industry, you gotta be safer than what the standards may be. Because to your point, I have a saying we used to say in the Navy all the time, and it was one off shit wipes out 99 attaboys. And I say that to the team all the time is we could fly 99 times in a day perfectly. The one that we don't is the one that they're going to remember. So just to clarify, you're training your customers to use these. No, we're training our operators to use these. Are they at that location at their retail? Yeah, there's operators at each of the locations. 
But here's what you're going to see. This is the change that you're going to start to see over the next two to three years. And this will come from when we, when the regulations start to change. Our system is designed that we don't need anybody there. The retailer can come out, location can come out. They just push the box into a door that checks it for center of gravity, checks it for proper weight. Once they do that, the system takes over. It takes the package. It also has a logistical management system in it. So we're not doing first in, first out. We're doing SLA driven deliveries. So which drone do we need to use in the ecosystem to deliver this package on time? So really the only training at that point, at that point will be showing them how to scan the barcode and put the package in the slide. Now, if it's too heavy, let's just say uh, somebody puts something that's overweight in that, will the drone still try and lift off and go? No, it's when you put it into the system and I, I'll show you some, I'll send you links to a couple of videos so you can see this actually working. I'll put those videos in the show notes if you send them to me. So once you load it into the door, there's a scanner that does a couple of things. It checks the weight of the box, checks the size of the box. It checks the center of gravity of the box. And if it doesn't meet those standards, it's almost an instantaneous check. Then it'll beep and tell you that this is non-deliverable and it'll spit it back out. So eventually, again, I'm not worried for my neighborhood. I used to, I've said on my podcast before, I I just envision being in a big city like a Chicago or Detroit or LA or wherever. And you you go out in the morning and you see just like a flock of drones descending on the city. Um, We would need, we're going to need some sort of industry cooperation, make sure they're not crashing into each other. But we, and you said it, we're, that's in its infancy. Yeah, that's already out there. Statistically speaking, you got drones in the area and I'm operating over here. Another drone operator is operating over here. We're not there yet. <laughs> it's it, it, The probability of us running into each other is very low anyway, but we all are testing systems. Wing is testing Zipline. Uh, we have a system in place. Some are using acoustical, so they're doing listening from the ground to listen to the air. Some are doing acoustical, they're listening from the drones. Uh, Some are using other different types of radar systems. The thing is, there isn't a specific standard for it. So everybody's back to the supply chain, back to a standardized set of supplies and materials that we can get. We're all kind of building this. And then you go to the FAA and you go, look, mine works. And they say, okay, does it work with theirs? And then we're like, we'll be back tomorrow. And then you go back and you have to call so it, I don't want to say it's in its infancy. I would say that it's in its toddlership. Yep. The FAA has got to be very, they're a governmental agency. So they're very excited. They're like, we're going to need 10,000 new people here. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then a whole bunch of lobbyists will develop and the whole industry. And they'll tell you how to live your life then, Tom. What's the right now, If I, I always have thought of drones as, hey, there's an island out there and I want to deliver something that an island and it's a few miles out or or a rural area, or, or you're not doing it right now, but because the you can only go a mile and a half. But what is the distance that a drone could take? Let's just say diapers. There are certain conditions where we do have and can obtain uh, beyond visual on a site waivers for testing and other things. We're actually going to be doing a project where we're going to be delivering medical supplies to an island off the coast of Virginia at about 20 miles. It's a small no island. Way. It's got about 500 residents. They got a small clinic there, but if they need medical supplies, they need whatever, they got to wait for the ferry and that could be the next day. So one of the projects that we're doing in collaboration with the state of Virginia and a couple of national agencies is we're literally going to be delivering medical supplies to that island at about a range of about 20 miles. 
That project's already been approved. It's just a matter of us moving forward with it. As far as how far the drones can fly, our next generation drone that, that's coming out, it has about a two-hour flight time. It flies at about 95 miles an hour. We theoretically have a range, and actually it's a three-hour flight time. That one has a range of about 100 miles out and 100 miles back. Yeah. I want to take a quick time out to tell you about my friends over at Green Screens. That's greenscreens.ai. Green Screens is a dynamic pricing technology for the truckload spot market that delivers buy and sell side market intelligence to help brokers and 3PLs grow and protect their margins. Freight brokers and 3PLs using green screens gain the following advantages. Faster pricing for both buy side and sell side transactions. Pricing that is more accurate and more likely to win profitable business. Guys, dynamic pricing is the next killer app. Hundreds of freight brokers are already using it because it enables them to develop faster, more accurate quotes. This is the time. Check out Green Screens in the show notes, greenscreens.ai. So getting back to it, do you foresee a time when these drones will be able to carry more than 10 pounds or is that their limitations? No. As the regulations continue to evolve, we can carry more than 10 pounds now. The only reason we're not is because under the regulation that we're flying under, the total payload can only be 55, the whole drone. But there's drones out there that we just saw one the other day. It's carrying 100 kilograms. There's one that's doing 500 kilograms. There's really not a lot of application for them now. And then you get into the whole EV tall and personnel transport, right? That's one of the questions I, I get asked all the time is, is when you're in the industry, when do you believe that we'll be able to get into a drone taxi and fly from point A to point B? Oh boy, <laughs> that's a scary one. Yeah, that's, I don't know. Like when I think of autonomous, that's scary to me. You got a vehicle, but you're talking autonomous in the sky. Oh, I don't know. Is, is that something you guys are playing with? No, I'll tell you how I answer that question. I get asked the question all the time. When do you think what, we're doing deliveries now? You're going to be doing heavy deliveries later. We're going to be flying a hundred miles with drones. So when are we, when would you get in one and fly without a pilot? And I'll give you my answer. Same answer I give every time. In, 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 in 2019, I was standing outside the Virgin Hotel in San Francisco. And this new self-driving car that had just rolled off, I won't say which brand it was, was going to pick us up, me and my partner, and take us to the speaking event. And all it had to do was drive 238 feet from the parking lot to the front door of the Virgin Hotel to pick us up. And in that 238 feet, it sideswiped a parking meter and took out the back tire of a California Highway Patrol motorcycle. Now, here's what's oh, interesting. No. <laughs> is That was almost 80 years to the date later than the first self-driving vehicle was demonstrated in 1939 at the World's Fair. So if in, if in 80 years I can't get a vehicle to drive 238 feet on the ground, I'm a long way away from getting in one that's flying in the air. <laughs> I always say this is my concern, and I've got these gray hairs now, so I don't play these stupid games now. But back in the day, I can just envision going out and partying with my friends and maybe you have one too many and they put you in an autonomous vehicle and send you to Peoria. <laughs> you, wake right. up, you wake up in the back seat, duct taped <laughs> and saying, damn, it happened again. Yep. No yeah, way. It, but it also seems like somebody could say, hey, look, I, I put a kid in there or there seems like you would really need a lot of safety measures in place for it to work. And I always say 
regarding autonomous vehicles. Uh, if you look in your car right now, how many things can it do assistive, right? They're assist, right? Cruise control, it can back me into a, a parking spot. So bit by bit, we're biting off little pieces of it. Right now, it'll slam on the brakes if they think you're going to crash into something. So we're getting used to the... And one of the things I've heard about autonomous vehicles is the, if you go into a city, up to 40% of the people in a city are looking for a parking spot. So the traffic in the city is people look if you could get out of your car in front of the restaurant you and your wife wanted to go to and walk in and your car drove four blocks away, six blocks away, five miles away, that works. Because now all of a sudden we don't have that, the traffic. But what you guys are doing is the same thing. When we talk about the last mile, especially in big cities, but not even in the big I'm in the I'm in a suburb that is close to rural. And we have a lot of construction. It is construction season here in Michigan. It feels like we can't get out of our city lately. And we're stuck. And God help the guys who are trying to do deliveries. Because there's traffic jams in areas where you're like, there's no reason for traffic jams. There's not many of us out here. But there's traffic jams. Yeah, so all of a sudden, if you can take thousands in a, in a city of drivers off the road, at, at, especially at rush hour, it's beautiful. Sign me up. <laughs> it's not just that. Look at the safety statistics within neighborhoods and the number of accidents that occur. People, I think, are sometimes surprised when you start to see the number of uh, logistics last mile incidents, Many, the number of which result in serious injuries is staggering. It's not about putting people out of work. It's about putting a safer manner of delivery in place. I think, and it's happened since the beginning of time, but it's happened a lot more in the last couple hundred years. We've gotten rid of some very difficult jobs. Driving trucks is a difficult job. Driving deliveries is a difficult job. Being a drone operator seems like it'd be a pretty fun job. Working at a drone company seems like a pretty good job. So I think we, as the baby boomers retire, we have a massive shortage coming up. Not only are there fewer people, I think 400,000 fewer people in the workforce, but that generation is wealthier than previous generations. They aren't like your grand, grandparents or great-grandparents. They aren't willing to go do any job, and they don't have to now. I asked you a question before because this is always my concern. I live in Michigan, and I wonder if the drones were working here. I don't know what would be worse out here where I live, where all the hunters taking a shot at your drone. They'd say, I, I got four ducks and uh, two drones or <laughs> more in the hood areas where they say, yeah, there's stuff flying by and I shot it. Is the, is that a problem for drones? Not really, because when we're trans, when we're transitioning and are transiting from one location to another, we're typically flying at about 300 feet. And while these are relatively large drones with about a five foot uh, wingspan uh, in the air at 300 feet, it's a very small profile target. Shooting at it is probably more of a threat for people on the ground because they're not really going to hit the We're drone. We're going to have to make the laws really more, a little probably stringent about that. It's before. a felony. It is a felony to shoot at a drone in the air. And a lot of people don't know that. Because first off, you're generally discharging a gun in a private area or in, in a public area, but it also creates risk because if you do hit it and it's unable to initiate its safety protocols, then it does become a ground threat. So it's a felony. It's happened. There's been, it's happened to, to us. We've, where people have attempted to 
and it's happened to to others in our industry. I'm glad to. I, 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 we're going to need a whole new set of rules around it, but it it all makes so, so much sense when you described it. And again, one of my thoughts before was, and I live in a subdivision. I always thought when I see thousands of drones, but we don't get thousands of drones. Uh, there's not thousands of shipments coming to this neighborhood in a day. It's probably a dozen. And that's manageable. And again, if it gets them off the roads, if it's safer, there's don't have emissions. By the way, let me ask this. The battery, those are battery, those are electric batteries on drones. How long do those last? Uh, they last quite a while and we're continuing to improve them. The new batteries that we're, we're coming out with now are water-cooled and rapid charge. So you can literally charge the battery from dead empty to 80% in about 10 minutes. And they have replaceable fuel cells in them. So they're going to be much more eco-friendly. They're going to last a long time. And if you look at the model right now, just to tell you one, one, one interesting point, because we have personnel at every location and because we're having to rotate batteries, um, those are the majority of our cost. 70% of my cost is labor and another 20% are batteries. In this future model, the one that I told you that we're developing and that we're launching now, you eliminate personnel at the site, you eliminate battery rotation. Uh, so now when you can make a 90% cut in your operational overhead with a single change, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty significant. This is good. This is very exciting. I did. I had no idea where, we first off, when again, the t- title drone delivery is here. I didn't know it was here. Again, I talked to a lot of people. No one was talking about what doing it like you guys are doing it. I want to wrap this bad boy up. This is very interesting. Again, who's your sweet spot and how, how do we reach out and talk to you guys? Oh, by the way, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, link to your website, link to your, so I guess that's one way to reach you. But again, who's your sweet spot? Anybody who wants to do, wants to utilize last mile delivery, period, really. And the thing I would tell people a year ago, they said, when, how should we get started? When should we get started? And I've always been very candid in that it's going to have to fit into your business process. But a year ago, I said, wait, and I'll tell you why. I wanted to be comfortable that the regulations were going to fall into place, that Congress, when you're talking about getting Congress and regulatory agencies to make fundamental changes, and to your point, put these unmanned autonomous systems in the air and blend it in with general aviation, with people, that's a big lift. And we didn't know if it was going to be one year, two year, five years. We didn't know. Now we know. Now the regulations are changing now both we've got bipartisan support on all of the bills that are going through Congress. So it's going to happen. Any company that's looking at implementing drones as part of their last mile delivery program should be talking to us now because it'll give us the opportunity to start figuring out how it's going to fit into your ecosystem, how you're going to fit into our ecosystem. It helps give us information on what type of things people are wanting to deliver. So if there's certain licenses and certifications, things that we need to be implementing across the program. So we love having conversation, even if somebody's like you, which I, somebody had told me you were a little doubtful about this whole drone <laughs> delivery thing. I was. So e- even if they are, I, I think people tend to have a, a, a new reality after they talk with us and they realize this is not five years away. And this is not the Jetsons anymore. This is real. And again, I want to go back to when you start talking about sub $3 cost per delivery, you're in this industry, you know what that means. Right. Yeah. And by the way, I don't know if you can mention names, but I know you are already 
in talks and or working with industry leaders in this space. It's not pie in the sky. And people tend to be super impressed. Oh, if they're doing it, then we can do it. <laughs> and the leaders in this, the leaders in retail are going to do this. If they can get, if they can save that kind of money per shipment, hallelujah. Yeah, it's, it goes back. I was on my previous job working for my wife. We would build and sell mobile applications. And I was having a meeting one time with a very large company. I won't say who it was. And we were trying to convince them to, to let us build them a mobile application. And the guy looked at me and he was very sincere. And he said, Tom, he said, we've talked about it internally. We think this mobile phone fad is going to pass. So we're not going to get on board. And I still remember that to this day. And so even companies that say, we're not going to be delivering by drones, when your alternative is $7 and an hour over here or $2 and 30 minutes over here, it's not going to be a decision about what you want. It's going to be a decision about what your customers want. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And by the way, we just got a new deal with UPS, with the drivers. And I think we're looking at 11 or 12% rate increase coming up in the new year. And that's not counting the holiday surcharges. And from what I can tell, drones probably don't care about the holidays very much. <laughs> That's the good thing. They, they don't need to take breaks except to get a little maintenance every now and then. They can fly 24 hours a day and and they, you're right. They don't ask for days off. Excellent. Excellent. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll put a link to your website. Hopefully you can get us those videos and so we can take some pictures, add those to the show notes so people can re look at those videos of drones working. Tom, I like to interview smart, interesting people like you who are killing it in the space. Who else should I talk to? I, 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 I think about that. There's a lot of good, smart leaders in, in our industry that I have a lot of respect for. And if you want to get a different perspective on drones, I would probably, I don't know. I don't know. I want to throw names out without asking them to the, the permission to throw their names out, but there's a lot of good, smart people. But I'll tell you, one of our partners, major partners is Walmart. And I've been really impressed working with them. Walmart for a long time was thought of as old school, traditional. I don't think people realize how far into technology they're leaning and taking some chances and making some bets. And we were, we, we've been one of them. They invested into our company and we, we do the, a lot of delivery for them. There's certainly some people there that have just impressed the heck out of me with their understanding of their vision in some ways of how what we're doing is going to change the world has sometimes impressed me that they got it more than I got it. That's where I'd go. It's a super impressive company. And again, I think when we didn't look at them as a logistics company and they're one of the top logistics company. We never looked at them as a technology company. I don't think people look at them as a sustainability company. I've said this, I've had them on the podcast. When Walmart said to all the detergent makers, we're not going to ship water anymore, make those concentrated. They all did. And as a result, they save thousands of trucks per year. And then you see it everywhere. Not just, a, uh, so they came out, all the detergent makers say, we don't ship water. It's because Walmart won't let you. They, they, That's right. They, they, I, when I was still doing logistics, we put a ton of, we moved solar panels to all sorts of locations that, that make sense uh, for solar panels. They got them all on the roofs of a lot of their locations. Very few retailers are as, as forward thinking as Walmart. Anyway, enough of my blather. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and convincing me that drones really, again, drone delivery is here. And I, I didn't think so. I had no, I really liked what Sankulp told me about gather AI. And I thought that's it. 
there'll be a time when somebody else comes on. I didn't expect it'd be six weeks later, but congratulations. And uh, I love what you guys are doing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Yep. Before I forget, what conferences will we see you guys at? We're going to be at the Com UAV conference in Vegas next week. I unfortunately am not going to be able to make that one because I'm going down to speak to the state of the region in Florida. We're doing a lot down there. Obviously, we have 11 different locations and stores working in Florida. And and then I'll go where they point and click me after that. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, sir. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast, Your Sports. Very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.